We are The Table, and we are so glad that you have taken time out of your week to join us. Here at The Table, it is our hope to move you forward in life and faith over the course of this message. At The Table, we do things just a bit differently. We pose questions in real time, and we want to give you some time to wrestle with those questions as well. Again, thanks for joining us, and we hope that this message moves you forward. New faces out there. My name is Nate Smith. I'm the lead pastor here. Good to see you again. I'm the lead pastor here at the table. We love to talk about Jesus. We love to tell you about Jesus. We love to record ourselves talking about Jesus, put it on the podcast, encourage you to listen to it again later so you can hear more about Jesus. Amen. So we welcome you this morning, and we're just going to dig right on and we've been in this series hopefully you've had fun with it but hopefully you've gained a lot from it it's our last week of dysfunctional family feud have you guys had had some fun with this are you learning some things here about yourself i wouldn't anticipate anybody to jump up and be like yes i'm dysfunctional but if we're honest, there's some things. I'm not saying you dis- maybe you're dysfunctional-ish. But today is our last week. We're going to be talking about this. And on today's episode of Dysfunctional Family Feud, put your hands together quickly. The thing I love about this series is that it has been able to help us reflect. So today, instead of setting the stage and having live contestants, we're going to go into the archives of Family Feud and show you some things so that we can get into our topic for today. Some men think they do perfectly until they marry and wife show them what idiots they are. Well, I know this from personal experience. That is laundry, Steve. Laundry. <laughs> yeah. Laundry. You think that's up there? I know what's up there. Girl, that's, you probably, what, what do you think the chances of it being up there is? 100%. 100%. You know, you, you know what Travis said about you? What? Travis said you ain't ever wrong. So this right here is going to be quite a test. What, what was your answer? Laundry? Laundry. All right, let's see if it's Come up on. there. <laughs> Talk to 100 women, name something you have enough of last your lifetime. Close. That's a good one. Woo! Woo! You like that one? I wish I had more clothes, but this is a good answer. That's a great answer. Yes. Look, feeling confident about it. I think I'm right this time, Steve. I, I, matter of fact, I bet you right. I like that attitude, Steve. That, you know, that's <laughs> the attitude you have. Because you said it with such a certain. Yeah, say it again. I'm gonna go with clothes, Steve. Yeah. 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 Throw your hair back. Woo! Woo! <laughs> Let me ask you something. How good do you think that answer is? Better than my last few answers, Steve. You better know. <laughs> it. 
Okay, look at that joint. That answer's so good. You want me to tell you how good that answer is? Yeah. Look right there. All right, okay. Oh, my God! Our topic for today is the obvious answer. The obvious answer. The obvious answer. Dysfunctional families, dysfunctional people, dysfunctional situations. There is an obvious answer that is right in the front of our face has been right in front of our face. And for whatever reason, just because the circumstances change, we think that the answer is less obvious. But if we really want to get to the root of any kind of brokenness, the answer is still the same. If we want to understand and make any sense out of this world that is chaotic and sinful and confusing, there's still an obvious answer. When I ask the question to just about anybody, name one Bible verse, one, just one, just what's the first Bible verse that comes to your mind? John 3, 16. So guess what today's passage of scripture is going to be? John, the third chapter, starting at the 16th verse. Keep this in mind, the obvious answer. So I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation, so the wording might be slightly different, but if you know it, you know it, and you understand it, you understand it. Amen? For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged and for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved darkness more than light for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. So I've, I've read beyond John 3.16 but I always find it interesting that everybody, we know John 3.16, but what do what, what does the subsequent verses say about that? Why is Jesus the obvious answer? Well, we see it here in the verse 
that's up now. But those who do what is right comes to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. What better way to deal with dysfunction? What better way to deal with things that are out of place? What better way to handle things that have gotten out of order or out of place than to do what God wants? But there's a reality that we need to come to that even when we know the answer, and even when we know what God wants, if you're honest with yourself, sometimes it's hard to do. Sometimes it's difficult to do what God wants, even when you know the obvious answer is something about you, is something about me, is something about us that makes it challenging to just do it. That's not a Nike plug. Just do it. It's easy to know, but why is it so difficult to do? Well, this is why Jesus is there. It bridges, he bridges the gap between your shortcomings, your abilities, your challenges, your sin, your ego. Stop me. Stop me anytime. I can keep going. I can keep going. You, the things that separate us from God enter Jesus. Jesus is the obvious answer to how we fix the things that are broken. So let's go to our definition that we've been working with all month, dysfunctional. Read this with me. Dysfunctional. Something that is not functioning like it was designed to function. It still works but it is working in a way that causes harm to the system or family that it belongs to. See, this is the problem. This is the problem with sin, right? We've been exploring this all week. We can give a new label on anything, but we have to understand the brokenness of the world comes from a place of sin. So we are, we are trying regularly to wrestle with this thing, and it's like, but wait, I believe, I'm a believer. How come things just don't go as planned? Well, that's because sin has entered the world and everybody in the world is not saved. And some believe they're saved and are not. Ouch. So everybody is not doing what God wants because they don't have Jesus. They have not accepted Jesus. They have not welcomed Jesus into their lives and subsequently their situations. We talked about dysfunctional families. They don't have grace and they don't extend grace to one another. But God gave us grace because of Jesus. We talked about how sin impacts the world, but God sent his son to die for the world. We talked about sin and how it impacts us, our own mentalities, our own emotions, our own physical nature, but God gives us Jesus for our personal salvation. Last week, Pastor Jeannie talked about forgiveness 
God gives us forgiveness through the blood of the Lamb. See, God is clear on what the problems are. He's clear on what the conclusion is that he wants. He's clear on the answer. And we're the ones avoiding the obvious answer and still trying to just force it our way. The interesting thing about this clip, hopefully everybody kind of followed what was happening there. I think it was obvious, but after all, this is... (laughs) The contestants keep trying to provide an answer. The answer isn't marked wrong because it's the right answer. But until they recognize that the answer is in front of them, they cannot actually process it, change their answer, and respond to the question. It's right there and in front of them. And we see, we see three things in these videos that I think are absolutely hilarious. The first one is, is that these people don't ever admit fault. The first lady, and I love that, I think it's funny, and, and I don't know if you had time to read the first question, but the first question says something along the lines of what, do, what are some things that men do that they think they do right until they marry a woman who tell them it's wrong. Now the question is already loaded. But she get real comfortable quick. She said, well, I'm going to tell you, I already know this because I know this from experience. Oh, snap. See, some of y'all better look, you can caught your own self saying that. I already know this because I done seen this. If it look like a dog, walk like a dog, it is a dog. If it quack like a duck, it waddle like a duck, it is a duck. I already know. I've seen this before. I heard it before. So you have to catch on to there are certain parts of our personal dysfunction that because we've seen it before or our experience says so, we double down in the way that we handle people. So this lady... She can't admit fault. The host is giving her every opportunity to see. She turned it into a dance move. (laughs) Looking for a revelation. Looking for something to be revealed when the answer is already in front of you can't admit fault. Can I tell you something? God knew that one of our personal challenges would be the fact that we don't know how to admit fault. We don't know how to ever say, oh, we can cast some blame. But it's very difficult to admit fault. Because somehow admitting fault or the role that we play in it makes us wrong and somebody else right. We keep a score. But see, God knew that this would be a challenge. And so I find it interesting as we walk through some of these broken things and some of these dysfunctions, we see how God, in in his, all of his knowledge, all of his desire, we see how he starts to deal with us in the text. Paul says in 
Romans 3 and 23. He says, look, you got to understand some things of the way that God works. He says, for everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. All, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All. All. Have sinned and fallen short. I like how the New Living Translation states this as falling short of God's glorious standard. In other words, there are ways and there are things that we're not supposed to just do. Now, we read this in John 3.21. We're supposed to be trying to do them what? Whose way? God's way. So if we're supposed to do it God's way, then the thing that we have to admit is that we all fall short of doing things God's way. We all have, a, have I don't care who you are or where you come from, you are going to fall short of his standard. See, God knows that we're going to have a struggle with this whole right and wrong thing. And the interesting thing is, is the enemy knows that we're going to have a struggle with the right and wrong thing. So instead of us worried about how we sin against God, we worried about who sinned against us. Instead of us worrying about the standard that God gives us, we want to argue about the standard that I have for this lady laundry. We want to fight with each other, not about God's standard. We want to hold each other accountable, not about God's standard. But we want to clash heads and have feuds and not talk to each other and go to war and go to battle. All about standards that we've created. Last week, I heard in Pastor Jeannie's message, she talked about this free gift that God gives is free to the person who receives it. But we may know that it costs to the person who gives it. And so we need to understand that in our dysfunction, in our ability or, or lack of ability to, to admit fault, we have to understand what is the cost and what is the consequence. Because God knows that without Jesus, he tells us in Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So in other words, in our sin, in our chaos, in our dysfunction, in our focus on everything but the standard of God, there's a cost. And there's also a consequence. Because if we don't accept what God has done through Jesus, then there is a major loss. See, I, I love the fact that God did not wait for us to realize we were sinners. Some of y'all got that and nodded. Let me say it differently. 
if you had to wait to admit that you were a sinner before he gave Jesus, we'd be in some bad shape. You can't admit you left the refrigerator open. You can't admit that you moved the car keys. You want to blame it on the person who always lose their car keys. No, that's not the same thing. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? God did not have to wait until we came Two, to be able to say, oh, you know what? I'm finally, com- I'm finally comfortable in my flaws. And then he said, well, now that you got it, let me send Jesus to the cross. That's not what God did. That's not what God did. Because he, he cared more about the outcome. Come on, somebody should have said amen. He, he cared more about the outcome. Meaning, he knows what the struggle is going to be. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what you're going to wrestle with. He knows when you're going to be weak. He knows when you're going to care too much beyond your own understanding. He knows all this, and he has a solution for it before you even have to go through it. Because he cares. He cares and he's protecting the outcome. Many of us would rather, in our state of dysfunctional thinking, prove a point instead of protect the outcome. We wanna, we'd rather prove a point about something rather than protect the outcome. If, G, if, if the Lord would have, if God would have done that for us, he'd have said, okay. Well, I'll just wait until they down enough, and then I'll do something about it. So my question to you is, can you admit it? Can you admit? Can you admit? Ask yourself, would you rather prove your point or protect the outcome? Because I got news for you. Sometimes I got points I got to prove. I got to prove them. And I'm not sleeping until I do. Look, you can, <laughs> you can do what you want with these words. I'm just trying to help you help yourself. I know sometimes I get on a, on a soapbox about something, and I don't care who say it. That's just what it is until I'm ready to concede. See, we have to understand that in dysfunctional ways of thinking, we know different than this lady on the game. The answer is already in front of you. If you focus more on Jesus and you go to Jesus with it first, then you'll realize the outcome is pleasing to him. The other thing that we see in the video, see, I, I'm one of those people who like, I guess I would be considered a risk taker a little bit, like to an extent. To a, like, Todd is definitely a bigger risk taker than me. <laughs> he climbs on things and swings from the roof of the church and all kind of crazy stuff. 
But I'm a little bit of a risk taker. I don't really get caught up in like, like I want to do things really well. And I think that once I have enough information, I'm cool making a decision, right? I can make a decision as long as I got enough information, we can make a decision. And I'm not one of those people that get caught up in like, well, what if this, what if that, what if this, what if that, what if this, and never make a decision. I don't, I don't do that. Even after the decision is made, I'm also not the kind of person that's like, well, this could have, would have, should have happened. Like, no, I'm good with the decision. I can make it. It's okay because the reward itself or what comes out of it, I'm okay with how it's going to come out. But we have to understand the risk and all of the chances that we take. See, if we settle in to like proving our points and doing the things that we want to for our own personal satisfaction or our own peace of mind, however you arrive at peace of mind. See, a lot of people don't understand that the reason a lot of times that drinking habits start and drug habits start is because they've taken into their own hands creating peace where there's discord. Now, I'm not saying addiction isn't real. That's not what I'm saying. So, so follow me. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying a lot of our temporary choices come by way of us doing things to bring us peace of mind and satisfaction in the moment trying to deal with a larger problem. Am I the only one that's woke up the next day saying, what in the world just happened? Why did I do that? Why? Because you get rid of yourself and you allow what you want to happen so that you can control. So the second thing we see in dysfunctional families and we see in the video is everybody thinks they know everything and can control all the outcomes. Some of our biggest flaws are our need for control. And we are willing to deal with any outcome as long as we control it. I was counseling a couple one time, a young couple was planning on getting married, and they had a, just a wild, wild ex relationship. It was just, I don't know. I, I, If I ever had an opportunity to coach you and your potential spouse, I'm going to tell you, if y'all sound crazy, I'm going to tell you y'all sound crazy. I'm, I'm going to just keep it honest with you. But in, but in the midst of this, they had really gone through some real deep traumas. They had. And one of them actually said, the reason I stay in this is because I know what to expect. I know what to expect. And I would rather expect the messed up outcome because I know I can deal with the messed up outcome. And I can just deal with, that's dysfunction at its finest. Because I know what the outcome is because guess what? In your faith, you have to believe in what you cannot see. You're looking for evidence of what has not happened. Right? So, you, so, so you, you have to understand that 
our ability to, or our desire to control, God knew all about that as well. Paul says in Romans 5 and 8, he says, but God demonstrated his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were what? Still sinners. He knew you would want to have control. He knew that you would do some things and you would like lock into some things and you would want to be really just in there about how you're going to control it. And you know what? The wildest thing about it is I thought of how we handle the storms of our life. And many of us, because of our control, like the couple that I told you about, we would rather not ask God for anything during the storm, and then call on him to help us deal with the result of the storm. Think about it. The storm is coming. Let us be fearful. Let us panic. Let us do everything we can. And then whatever is left over, God help us pick up the pieces. But wouldn't it make more sense if we called on God during the storm? So that the result of the storm would actually be the evidence of his faithfulness while in it. Because the outcome isn't what it could have, would have, and should have been had he not been with us in it. But this is our dysfunctional thinking, just that little bit of doubt. Well, if I got to deal with the storm, I'll just do it. And whatever's left, I can survive it. What's the lady name in the 70s? It was a Gloria Gaynor who had the whole song, I Will Survive. Y'all be singing it right now, loud, screaming, dancing around. Like it's an anthem for what? Whatever's coming my way is fine, I will survive. Well, it's a good disco anthem, but it ain't Jesus. Because that's not his intention for us to just deal with the outcomes without him when he's trying to tell us, hey, look, while you were still sinning, I stepped in. When the mess was still happening, I was available. When things were going wrong, I intervened. When you didn't have the answers or didn't even know the questions to ask, I was right there. He came to meet us where we were with the expectation that we would arrive to the place he wants us to be. Dysfunctional families, dysfunctional people, dysfunctional thinking, even though the answer is obvious, they aren't willing to change. They aren't willing to change. We look, and the second lady, at least the first lady had multiple answers on the board. The second lady had one, and it was the number one answer at that. And she said, close, Steve. She had a whole dance. She said, it's better than my other answers. But the thing that's happening in that moment is that until you realize how stubborn you're being, how steadfast you're being in your business, in your thing, you don't realize the obvious answer is right there in front of your face. 
See, sometimes we get confused on this Jesus journey. Sometimes we, it's like we know what, the, like we know what to do. If you spent a little bit of time in church, if you've read a little bit, I would even venture to say if you hadn't, because you are made in God's image, there is something inside of you that you have to reject to make some of the decisions that you do. You don't have to be a preacher, you don't have to be a pastor, you don't have to teach a Sunday school class, you don't have to volunteer. I believe that there is something inside of all of us because we are made in God's image that we are constantly wrestling with what's the right thing to do. And if that's the wrestle that's internal, then it only makes sense to go to the one who made you to ask for clarification on the thing that's creating so much conflict and confusion internally. But if we want to keep the dysfunctional route, even though the answer is obvious, we don't want to change. We don't desire to move forward. We don't match up our words and our actions. You now people say actions speak louder than words. But the older I get, I really, I really question that. Because that makes it seem like one is more important than the other. But the reality of it is, is they're equally important and they're both necessary because somebody's actions could be one thing, but if the words that come from their mouth is something different that don't match with their action, that creates confusion and inconsistency and untrustworthiness as well. So the two things have to go together. And Paul talks about this spiritual acknowledgement and this, this need to be able to say a thing. And he says in Romans 10, verses number 9 and 10, he says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. This is how Paul explains what salvation is all about. I declare to you, if you are here trying to figure out how to save your family. I would challenge you to make sure you yourself are saved. The best shot you got at saving your family, saving your marriage, saving the lives of your children that are growing up in a world that we have no idea what it's going to look like in 10, 12, 15, 20 years. If you want to save your family, I would encourage you to be sure you yourself are saved. And if you are saved, I'm going to challenge you to look hard at what's God's way 
versus what's our way. Because we can be saved in our heart. We have made a decision for him in our heart. We've professed that Jesus is Lord and he's risen from the dead. But it's like, as soon as we do that, we get up from our knees or from our posture of submission. And then we go tackle the storm without bringing him with us. So today I want to just take a moment for us to just reflect. Just reflect. Just sit where you are and I just want you to think about your own personal salvation. Paul says it's when you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you declare with your mouth you will be saved. This is the reason why the thief on the cross, we know he got to be with Jesus for eternity as we read in Luke, the 23rd chapter. It's because right there on that cross as he was preparing to die for the sins that he committed, the laws that he broke, he recognized who God was. He recognized Jesus as his Savior. And right then and right there, he asked Jesus to save him. And the words of Jesus professed, you will be in paradise with me. So I'm asking you this question. I'm not asking you about baptism. I'm not asking you about all the vacation Bible schools you went to or the prayer meetings you were at. I'm not asking about any of that. I'm asking about your personal salvation. Have you done what Paul says? Openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was rose from the dead. For believing in your heart, you are made right with God and openly declaring your faith that you are saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You want to break the dysfunctional chains. You want to break these things that have been passed on generation to generation. You want things to be different. May, may you be saved by the love of Jesus and the sacrifice of the Lamb. And may he work through you and in your situation and in your life so that when you enter a space, when you enter your living room, when you enter your kitchen or go to your next family reunion, that the Lord be with you and he have his way the way he sees fit and may you be the vessel that he uses to do so I'm going to ask that you just close your eyes as you thought about your salvation and where you stand and maybe you have never ever ever taken this step of giving your life to Christ and declaring him as king and head over your life. May this be the moment that you do so. You don't have to wait. You don't need a, 
anything other than what the Word of God says by declaring, confessing, you can be saved. So pray this with me in your own personal silence, this prayer of salvation. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and my life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and as my Savior. Live inside of me. Help me to surrender everything unto you so that you get the glory from my life. In Jesus' name, amen. In Paul in Romans 10 and 13, he says this, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if where you sat, if it's the first time that you've ever prayed that prayer and invited him into your heart, the word of God says, you will be saved. But remember, this is the step that says, I'm going to forfeit my way for his way. And if you're already saved, I asked you to ask yourself, when and where am I looking for my way instead of his? As we prepare to take communion, the Word of God tells us to take time to remember every time that we take this, that this, this wafer is his. It is his body. It represents his body, his body that was broken for you and I. This is what Paul is speaking about. God gave us, a, gave us Jesus when we were yet sinners so that we could have everlasting life. Take and eat. And this cup, this cup represents the blood that was shared, shed for your sins. There's forgiveness in the blood of Jesus. There's redemption in the blood of Jesus. There's salvation in the blood of Jesus. May you take and drink in Jesus' name. This is the word of the Lord. It is already blessed. May your ears, your hearts, and your souls be blessed. If this message challenged you and moved you forward, personally or in faith, we encourage you to share it with someone who needs a message of hope today. And if you're interested or looking for ways to partner with us in our mission here at the table, head on over to thetablejoliet.org for more information.